Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shoot to Make podcast with Dennis Stanton, episode 22. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. As always, our mission is to talk about the journeys of successful high school, collegiate, professional basketball players and coaches in hopes to provide a platform, a playbook, a venue for others to learn and grow. We have a very special guest today who's experienced tremendous uh, success at the high school, collegiate, and professional levels. Arguably the best shoot, three-point shooter in the history of St. Joe's University, Pat Carroll. Welcome to the show, Pat. Thanks, Dennis. Pleasure to be on with you. Awesome, man. I, I uh, definitely appreciate uh, you jumping on, especially, you know, given the, uh, the quarantine and, and quarantining with four kids can't be easy. How are you guys holding up? Yeah, it's definitely not easy. I, I'll tell you, the silver lining, I'm enjoying a lot of the, the family time right now because, you know, normally I'm running out the door, going to work, and then you're heading off to some kind of activity with the kids, whether it's sports practice or school activity. So this time, you know, hopefully this is once in a lifetime opportunity. So just trying to enjoy all the time we can get as a family. So no doubt, man. I think that's great perspective. And, and that piece about just sitting down and eating dinner and not having to rush out. Like I've said it multiple times over the course of the last month to my wife that it's, it's actually so refreshing to be able to do that. You know, obviously there's a lot of strife and pain going on in the world, but that piece of it definitely, I think is great perspective. Um, yeah, totally. And, and, and you're, you have four kids. Jackson's your oldest. He's 10 now, right? Yes. Yep. Cassidy's eight. And then what are the two other ages? Yeah, Patty is five, and then Cammie, she'll be two next month. So four under ten right now, so it's, uh, it's a handful. <laughs> you got it all covered, man. You know, and then what, what, what are the ages of yours again? Yeah, so uh, Caroline's six, uh, Abigail's four, and Jack is two. Um, I've been telling people we get about 37 minutes of quality um, homeschooling done per day. <laughs> Uh, but, but, hey, that's not bad. If you can get about 30 minutes, you're, uh, you're doing a good job. That's what I keep telling my wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, awesome, man. I, I, uh, I, I think every one of our listeners knows who you are, given your career at Hatboro and St. Joe's. But I think for some listeners that, that maybe, you know, we're getting older now, man, so maybe they forget a little bit. So I'm going to just give a quick <laughs> little recap. Uh, 2001 graduate of Hatboro Horsham had an incredible career scoring over 1,000 points, hosting a record of 105 and 23, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, All-state, all-conference, along with his brother Matt, two of the best shooters in the history of Philadelphia High School and suburban basketball. Then went on to St. Joe's, had an incredible career, graduated in 05. As I alluded to earlier, one of the best three-point shooters um, in the Atlantic 10 and obviously holds a lot of records at St. Joe's. Three-pointers in a season at 135. Three-point shooting percentage, 45%, which is incredible. Um, Average 12 as a sophomore, uh, all big five, all Atlantic 10. And then obviously your junior year, you guys went to the Elite Eight and had an incredible season. And you were one of the better players on the team, averaging 12 points a game. And then senior year, you exploded. A-10 player of the year, big five player of the year, 18 a game. Spent time with the Houston Rockets Summer League, brief stint with the Mavericks in the D-League. And then years overseas in France, Greece, and Spain. Uh, you know, I think aside from all your incredible hoop success, I think if you asked anyone that's played with you or against you or knows you or understands, they they know you as just a great teammate, a leader, and and a great person. So again, I appreciate you jumping on here today and uh, chopping it up with us. Absolutely, man. It's it's good to hear. You're bringing back a lot of good memories going through all that, man. Makes me sound a lot better than uh, what I remember. (laughs) Yeah, I I actually had a lot of fun diving into, uh, because it's harder and harder as we get older to find stuff. So I was looking at media guides, online media guides from like 2005. 
Um, right. just, just going through your career is just incredible. And I definitely, you know, with these journeys, I think so many people remember you playing in that NIT championship game or you going five for seven, at, you know, as a junior at Wake Forest to, go, you know, go to the Elite Eight. I think we all remember those moments. But I think it's so important for our mm-hmm. listeners to hear about where it all started and the process and, and what, what it looked like when you were growing up. So that's kind of where I want to bring them back to you know your basketball family obviously your older brother had a ton of success at Hapro Notre Dame in the NBA but what did that look like as you were growing up uh, in, in a basketball sport family yeah so you know growing up we we grew up in Pittsburgh and you know it's funny because basketball we definitely got introduced to the game because of my mom's dad my grandfather who he was the head coach of North Catholic High School in Pittsburgh for over 50 years Wow. So, you know, our Friday nights throughout the wintertime, it was like, you know, go see a North Catholic game. And, and that was it. You know, I, I remember watching those guys and, it, you know, they had some decent players, but you know, they were like gods to me. It was like, man, these, and, you know, every Friday night we're going to see a high school basketball game. But, um, you know, but it, it wasn't just about basketball. Like my dad, he, uh, growing up, he played football, basketball and baseball, and he was a quarterback at Penn state. And, you know, basketball, I'd say, was uh, the at the low end of the totem pole for him. I think baseball was his first love. And uh, as his brother played for the Cincinnati Reds and won a World Series with them. So, you know, baseball was a big part of my childhood growing up. That was probably my main sport until we moved out to the Philly area when I was about 12 years old, I believe. Okay, and then you move out to the Philly area. And then were you in eighth grade at Happer or seventh grade? Yeah, I was going into seventh grade when we moved out to this area. And, you know, it, it was – basketball was pretty good in Pittsburgh, but you think when you move out to the Philly area and you get introduced to Sunny Hill and and all the players, like, uh, you know, I remember seeing Kobe for the first time. Um, he played Rip Hamilton uh, at the Palestra. I think it was the semifinals of the districts. And just seeing that level of basketball in the Philly area, I mean, it was incredible at the time. So – it's uh, it took it my love of basketball to a whole nother level moving out to the Philly area. Interesting. And your brother was was he a junior when you were a freshman? You guys two years apart? Yes, two years apart. Two years apart, guys. Yes. So your freshman year, his junior year, you guys obviously played on the same team for two years. But maybe you want to talk us talk through about what that was like. Obviously, playing with your brother at the high school level, but. Um, you know your journey as a freshman. Like, did you go into Hatboro? You guys had a great coach, Coach O, who who Ben Luber mm-hmm. talked about on this podcast. Um, uh, but, but when you were a freshman, were you starting right away or what did it look like? Yeah. So I came in and I did start as a freshman and we had a really good team. We had Brian Martin. He went on to play at St. Francis D one and, you know, a couple other solid seniors on the team. Matt was obviously a junior and then I was a freshman and it, it was a big step. It was the first time of my life that Matt and I got to play on a, a real team together mm. and you know going into that freshman year I, I really had no idea what to expect but I remember that first game stepping on the court just thinking man like the speed the strength the physicality it was just you know a whole nother level and you know in one sense I wasn't ready for it but you know it's, it's all about your effort and you know the main thing is you know in eighth grade I obviously played a bigger part on my teams but then when I got forced into high school as a freshman, it's like, all right, you, you got to find your role. And, you know, I wasn't going to dominate in any means of, uh, 
in many aspects of the game, but it was just find your role. I can hit spot up shots and just try my best on defense. So yeah. that's kind of where I landed as a freshman. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting too. You talk about the uh, you know Philadelphia basketball and suburban basketball, and and at that time, you know, you had you know Plymouth White Marsh who was very good, Norristown who was very good, obviously Hatboro was very good. Um, all these schools, Coatesville, as you alluded to earlier, um, you know, when you were in high school, the, the gym would be packed. You know, sometimes, you know, I think with football and basketball, there's still this element of purity at the high school level, which I still love. Um, you know, do you have memories of just the packed gyms when you guys would play Nartown or PW? And, and can you speak to that a little bit as a, you know, a freshman or sophomore, as an underclassman, what that felt like? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember uh, freshman, sophomore year, you know, we would battle with Norristown when they had Marquez Green and, and a few other guys that they were a great team and, and just the battles were just crazy. And then uh, PW, you look at their teams with Chuck Moore Abdul Collier, uh, Gene Shipley. Mm. I mean, they had John Salmons. I mean, they had so many good players on that team. Um, one thing that stands out, they beat us when I was a freshman. They beat us at our place earlier in the year. And then the last game of the regular season, we played PW at their place. And I remember roll up, rolling up on the bus where you know, the JV game was first. And there was a line of like hundreds of people trying to get into the JV game. And, you know, I just – in high school, I just never thought anything could be like this for a regular season basketball game. And and it was just packed in there. You had Comcast and all the local channels. and But, you know, the level of basketball for high school, it was, it was amazing. So those battles were definitely memorable. Yeah, that's awesome. Marcus Green, actually, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke to, you know, his junior year when your brother was a senior – you know, there was five, six Division One players on your guys' team, just an incredible team. And he, he said he got you got, he They beat you twice, I think, that year. Um, oh, they, they had our number that year, man. It was tough. <laughs> yeah, he, said, he said it was a bad matchup for you guys. That's the way he put it. He's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was definitely not a good matchup. They, they put the uh, – it was like the VCU uh, – the uh, what, did, what did they call their style when Shaka Smart was there? Uh, the Havoc. You know, they just ran out full court press and we just, we couldn't handle it. But his team was awesome though. When you look back at, obviously you had some, some great games. Is there a game that sticks out in your mind, you know, freshman to senior year that, you know, that was your best performance that you had as a high school basketball player? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple moments. I, I think that one game against PW when we played them freshman year, you know, I, I don't remember how many points I had, maybe 10. 10 or 12 where, you know, by no means was dominating the game. But I think it was one of those moments where, um, you know, I had a couple nice passes at the end of the game and hit a couple shots that it just made me realize, like, hey, I can, I can excel at this level, even when you're playing on the same court as guys like John Salmons and Chuck Moore and those kind of players. It's, it's um, you know, incredible of – just a couple moments like that just build your confidence as you go into the, you know, the next years. Yeah. I think that's so important. The, the element of confidence and people often ask me like, you know, how do you get confidence? And you know, there it's, it's somewhat elusive, but we know it comes from success and we know what it feels like when you have success and then you can walk on the court. Um, but you know, as quickly as you get it, it's as quickly as it can go away. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about growing up in the, the basketball family. Can you maybe speak to, like, the relationship of having an older brother who was very good, 
Like, did you guys work out a lot together? Did you guys play one-on-one? -on -one? Did you shoot together? What did that look like during the high school years? Yeah. And, I, I mean, I, I was so fortunate to have a brother and let alone an older brother because he could push me even to another level. But it, it was different growing up, I think, than it is right now because the AAU, I played AAU, but it wasn't nearly what it is now. Mm -hmm. So the majority of the summer, you know, I remember Matt would go to a few, few of the big tournaments like Bob Gibbons and the big time in Vegas. And I went to a couple of those, but the majority of the summer, it was Coach O had our team with Hatboro and he would, you know, it was great because he gave us access to the gym. You know, if it wasn't at the gym, we would be outside at the park and just working out. So, I mean, we would just spend hours and hours throughout the summer, just working on your game. It was, you know, dribbling through cones and, putting chairs out on the court, just coming off jumpers, pop curl fades, spot jumpers. And you just spent hours just working on your game and playing pickup. And, you know, I think it was a benefit for us, the fact that we just got to spend so much time working on our game rather than having to worry about, you know, traveling to all these tournaments, which, yes, there's, a, there's definitely a time and place and some great benefits to playing AAU basketball. But if you can spend the majority of your time developing – I think it was great. And having an older brother to do that with, um, I always had a workout partner. So Yeah. No, that's a great – I love that perspective too because so many people get caught up on which AAU team to join and this is going to make or break my recruitment. And the reality of it is is you have to find the fit that works for you. And when I say fit, I mean like somewhere where you're going to actually play. Like if you're playing pickup at the carpet courts at Hatboro, like you're going to get better if you play for two hours um, and you work out mm -hmm. and shoot before that. And, you know, even like one-on-one, -on -one, like you could play one-on-one -on -one against someone that, that can't make a jump shot, but you have to figure out how to score on someone that's trying to keep you away from the basket. And inherently you're going to get better by doing that. Completely. Yeah. 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 Just um, getting the reps in. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys obviously, um, you, you worked really hard. You, you worked out. You guys had both great careers at Hatboro. Um, when you look back, when did like the recruitment process start for you? Was it kind of end of sophomore year, end of junior year? Or how did you get recruited and, and what other schools were you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I, I was fortunate because even as a freshman when I was playing on Hatboro's team, you know, there's a lot of coaches coming into our open gyms in preseason and then in the offseason because of Matt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was definitely fortunate in that aspect where I got to had an opportunity to get in front of these coaches at a, you know, a year or two early. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say around the sophomore years when I went to a couple of AU tournaments and, you know, started getting recruited St. Joe's, you know, coach Martelli. Um, I love him. And obviously he was one of the first ones because he was recruiting Matt initially. And then Matt ended up, you know, going to Notre Dame, but I kept that relationship with Coach Martelli, you know, all, all throughout my high school career. And, you know, there's a few other schools. I wasn't heavily recruited by the top schools in the country. Um, I was looking at Rutgers, um, Duquesne, a lot of the A-10 schools okay. I was looking at. But, um, you know, I think my relationship with Martelli while he was recruiting Matt helped a lot. And ultimately it came down to, like, I, you know, I played against Jameer. I played with him in the Donofrio tournament each summer. And that relationship there with Jameer having the opportunity to play with him in a relationship with the St. Joe's coaching staff was like, man, I, I couldn't pass up St. Joe's with that. Yeah, well, you definitely made the right decision. And we'll definitely get into that and playing with Jameer and that historic run. Um, for AAU, did you play – who did you play for, Sam Rines? 
Yep. Yeah. Played. It was, it was a little bit of a mix. So I played with Sam Rines and, you know, we had great guys with uh, a couple of my half old teammates with Chris Wyatt, Dave Luber, Brian Nowitzki and uh, Kinsey. Sometimes, we, you know, we had a number of half old guys, but then there was Jay Joseph, Dave Brooks. Um, you know, so we had a lot of talent there. Yes. And then for some of the um, other tournaments, when I went out to like Vegas or Bob Gibbons, it was with a team called the Pittsburgh Jots, where I had a relationship before moving out to um, to this area. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit of both. That's cool. Um, what do you What do you remember most about your senior year of, of playing high school? It's it's you know then you ha- you'd have two years under your belt without your brother there, and you guys are still rocking and rolling. You guys, did you guys? Um, what kind of success did you have? Did you win the league your senior year and go to states and all that? Yes, we. Uh, yes, yeah, so all four years we. I believe we won our league okay. and, and then we made the States every year. And then my, what was it? My freshman and senior year, we made the district finals. We lost to PW freshman year. And then senior year, we lost the district finals to Coatesville when they had John Allen and, and uh, they had a real solid team that year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, so your senior year at the end of your, when did you commit to St. Joe's? I committed at the beginning of the year. So, you know, it was kind of a nice weight off your shoulders where there's no pressure and you're trying to perform uh, just for the good of your team versus, you know, trying to put yourself out there. And, and uh, you know, you know, some of those people I feel bad when they don't make the decision until later and they're trying to get the best school they're, you know, they want to get recruited by. So it was a nice weight off my shoulders doing it earlier in the year. No, it's so true. And I think so much of it's about, um, you know, the element of pressure that especially it seems like each year, given the fabric of our society and social media and the, the willingness to, to show other people how good you are at whatever it might be, there's, kids put so much pressure on themselves to be successful. And then on top of that, you have the pressure of the college decision. And, you know, what you're articulating there, I see happen all the time with our student athletes. Um, you know, and, and you talk about the finding the fit and, and having that level of comfort with Coach Martelli, the coaching staff, Jameer Nelson. Um, when you got to St. Joe's, how was the transition for you? You know, did you have any challenges freshman year or things that you remember, hurdles that you had to climb uh, when you first got to St. Joe's? Yeah, I would, I would say it was a big-time hurdle going into college. Now, I, I knew signing at St. Joe's with the guys ahead of me, I knew I wasn't going to get much playing time freshman year. We had big-time guards with Marvin O'Connor, Naeem Crenshaw. Of course, Jameer was the starting point guard. Um, you know, my teammate that came in the same year was Delonte West, you know, so we had tons of guards in front of me. So I wasn't expecting to play much freshman year. Okay. And it, it was, you know, I didn't redshirt, but um, it was almost like a redshirt year where it, it was so valuable to sit back without having the pressure to perform on the court during games mm-hmm. and just get caught up to speed. Because honestly, you know, mentally, physically, I wasn't ready to to uh, perform at that level as a freshman. So it was, you know, in, in essence, almost a redshirt year, but just, you know, being able to get in the gym, work on my body, work on my skills and understand, you know, what do I need to do to contribute on, you know, on the court with, uh, with players of this caliber, of this speed. So, um, you know, I needed that time to, <laughs> to uh, work on a whole lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what did that look like for you? Was it, was it mostly structured by, you know, the coaching staff? Like, did they have you, obviously, other than your actual practice, outside of your practices, 
did they have you on like a lifting regimen and a shooting workout, you know, in the summer and the spring and the fall, or was that kind of on your own? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, you know, they gave us a lot of freedom. I spent every summer I spent on campus at St. Joe's taking summer courses. And, you know, it was almost like an exit meeting where when you finish up a season, uh, you know, you sit down with Coach Martelli and he'll lay it out for you like, hey, here's, here's your areas of strength. Here's your areas of weakness that we really need to develop in the off season. So he would really help drive that conversation and give you a nice blueprint of this is what you need to work on. So we had, you know, I had a great relationship with uh, Coach Bass, Coach Ross, um, Coach Matt Brady there and they were willing to work with you all um throughout the entire off season so and you know i would spend it all summer at st joe's so it was um it was a good mix yeah that's definitely beneficial i mean when you look back at that jump from freshman to sophomore year you obviously you know from not playing too much and being behind some very good players to then averaging 12 11 or 12 as as a sophomore um what do you kind of attribute that to and 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 how did that you how did you make that quick jump you know in such a short amount of time yeah I mean it, to be honest like the, going into that uh, sophomore year it, it was a surprise of you know some of the success I had that year I just wasn't expecting it I remember going into um, our first game that year we played Boston College and I think I hit my first five threes that game wow. and it came as a shock it came as a shock to me it came as a shock to the coaches and and it just kind of built some momentum. And, you know, the, I was fortunate because playing alongside of Jameer and Delonte, it was like I had an easy job. I just had to stand outside the three-point line, you know, let those two handle their – you know, they would handle the ball. They drew all the defense, kick out to me, and I'm shooting wide-open jumpers. So, you know, it was a huge part of just the – you know, the, the system I was in, the players I was playing with that – you know, led to my individual success um, because of who I was playing with, really. Now, were you you coming out of the gate five threes in the first game? Were you coming off the bench or were you starting? I was starting that game. Okay, I got you. And, yeah, like with that team, we had so many good guards and we were very deep. So, you know, even though I was starting, we we had guys, Tyrone Barley was coming off the bench, Chet Stachitis was coming off the bench. and, And, you know, we were very interchangeable. He would rotate guys. We played a uh, four-guard lineup a lot of the, you know, in probably the majority of the games, we were going a small lineup. So it was, um, you know, we, we just had a lot of depth and, you know, everybody could shoot. Everybody would, you know, bust your butt on defense and it, it was a good combo. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, starting the season off. I think it's so important What you know, great players, great shooters, doesn't matter who you are, like you're going to have good days and bad days and starting a season off shooting the ball well definitely gives you that that sense of momentum for the next game and even you know transition into the the whole season um can you talk a little bit about your mental approach to shooting obviously someone that's made 45 percent of their threes over the and made a ton of them you obviously figured something out other than just being able to shoot the ball and having a nice stroke but can you talk a little bit about like the mental element of shooting what you found to be most successful for yourself yeah, um, you know, I think one thing, and I've heard you speak to this at camps, and, uh, you know, I think two of us really are on the same page with it, is visualization is is a huge part of the routine. And I remember the first time I learned it, it was, uh, it, you remember the ABCD camp? Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, I went to it two years, and 
and there was they had like a classroom element and then and then you would be you know playing against some of the top players for the remainder of the day but it was the first time I was introduced to it in high school and it was funny because I learned about it in high school but then didn't really apply it until later in my year um, or later in my college career but you know I think you know on the bus rides and even on plane rides just sitting there when you you know, no distractions around, just closing your eyes and just visualizing yourself in the gym. And, you know, ultimately you're going to make every shot in your mind, <laughs> you know, knowing that when you get on the court, if, uh, if you can make close to half of them, you're in a good spot. But, you know, uh, as far as shooting goes in like the, the pregame routine, the visualization was so important, um, you know, to my routine, something I always did. And then, uh, you know, from a mindset perspective, I think uh, one of the most difficult things I learned kind of later in my uh, college career was I think it was, it was easiest for me coming off of a bad game that that next game, it was like, it was so easy to go in with a blank slate. Cause it's like, you know what, I'm putting that behind me. And, and you know, those say you might have two days in between the games, you know, it's practice, 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 but I felt even, like hyper-focused going into a game if I played bad the previous game. I think one of the biggest challenges for me is when you had a really good game and then that next game you're going into, sometimes you tend to relax or sometimes you're trying to say, all right, you know, I just want to do things how I did them last game when I didn't go in with that blank slate. So, um, you know, good or bad game, I think it's just so important for shooters to go in. Like the pass is the pass, forget about it. And almost detach yourself from what you're shooting for. You know, I think goals are great, but if you can detach yourself from saying, all right, I have to score X amount of points or I got to hit my first few shots, you, you focus on the controllables. Like, I'm going to sprint off of every down screen. Mm-hmm. You know, every time my teammate comes to set me a screen, I'm only going to focus on setting the defender up and sprinting off the screen. And it's just, you know, things like that, the controllables, if you can really focus on those, it's, uh, you know, as a shooter, I think that helps so much because, you know, as, as a shooter yourself, we can put pressure on ourselves so much where each shot feels like, all right, I got to hit it, you know, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's one of those things that if you can have that blank slate going into the game, focus on the controllables and, and things that are just the effort things, setting your man up each time, sprinting off the screen. Um, I think that's tremendously helpful for shooters. Yeah, and no, I love, I mean, we could do an hour just on this part of basketball. Um, everything you said there, so well articulated. Um, first part, the visualization, you know, on the bus, on the plane, seeing yourself being successful. You know, I think I've talked to a lot of very, very good basketball players that don't do it and uh, that don't have any kind of mental training. And, and it's been great for them that they didn't have it. But what I try to tell young players is there's no guarantee that visualization is going to work. Um, but there is a guarantee if you don't work on it, visualization or mental training, that you won't get better. Um, you know, there might be players out there that don't need it to be successful, and that's okay. But mm-hmm. I found so much, um, so much value in it um, w- with respect to in college and professionally that, you know, I started working with players and started trying to get players to do it as well, and, and it's worked really well. Um, and then the other piece is about the blank slate. You know, when you talk about the blank slate, I think when I would have a bad game, I remember going to a locker room at halftime, visualizing a blank slate and feeling a blank slate in order to get ready for the second half. And and that really helped me um, over time. I love it. 
Yeah. I love it. And, and I like too how when you speak to that, where you're not, it, it doesn't have to continue the whole game. You know, like you can approach each half as a whole new, literally a whole new game. And then even, you know, if you're playing quarters like overseas or, you know, even possession by possession, if you can break it down and, and approach it with that blank slate, like I love that example, just, you know, going in at halftime and, you know, put it behind you, man. Yeah, it's, it's so true. So true. Um, so at St. Joe's, you obviously have a great sophomore year and then junior year is the is the year you guys were, you know, 27 and 0 or 27 and 1 and you went to the Elite Eight. Is that correct? Junior year? Yep. That yeah. was junior year. Um, so incredible run for St. Joe's, for you, pretty much. I mean, the whole city of Philadelphia, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm a, I, I'm a Philadelphia fan. I don't watch a lot of sports, but um, how the city takes ownership of St. Joe's or Villanova or whoever it is, it was uh, just an incredible run. What are some, when you look back at that team, what do you think separated that team from, you know, some of the other teams you were on? Or what made that such a magical season, aside from obviously winning a ton of basketball games? Yeah, I mean, I think the easy thing to look at is, you know, talent. And, and that was definitely apparent when you have two first-round draft picks with Jameer and Delonte. I mean, you, you got to have some horses to win, uh, you know, to be a successful team. That's for sure. But I think that, you know, the uncommon things that you look at is, like, the leadership that Jameer and really others exhibited on the team. It's, I think that's some of the things that, made us unique and made us successful on that team like for example one of my favorite stories about Jameer is when you think about him going into his so he made the decision he could have been potentially a first round pick leaving after his junior year and he had to make the decision am I going to come back for um, for my senior year he obviously decided to and that that shows the rest of the team like all right he's really invested in this team because he passed up guaranteed millions of dollars um i you know he had his son mirmir um when he was in college so you know i don't care who you are if if you have a young kid and you're passing on millions of dollars i mean that shows an investment you know that many people would never come close to absolutely so and and then i remember him uh senior year you know we're sitting down and a reporter asked him said jameer you're a potential player of the year candidate for for college basketball you're a potential lottery pick guaranteed first round pick in the nba you know you, you're going to have a really good team this year maybe make a run at ncaa tournament share some of your goals with us and he paused for a second and said my only goal is to be the greatest teammate that these guys have ever played with and you know as he's sitting with us saying these guys with all of his teammates around there but when when you think about you know, Jameer, he ended up being the national player of the year. He was a first-round draft pick in the NBA, led St. Joe's to, you know, the greatest uh, team in school history. All the accolades he had, but his goal going into a senior year was to be the greatest teammate his teammates have ever played with. I mean, who says that? Like, That's and awesome. when you think, you know, from a, from a player's perspective, it's like, all right, if I got a leader like that, like it made it easy for all of us to kind of fall in line. And it's like, look, we're all invested. We're all doing this for the team. And, you know, I think when you look at his leadership from that perspective, I mean, it just, that's, it was almost a trickle down effect. And we all kind of, you know, we had a lot of specialists on the team, but we all, 
you know, played into our role with Jameer and Delonte doing most of the scoring. You know, I did the three-point shooting. Chet did three-point shooting as well. Tyrone Barley was a defensive specialist. Dwayne Jones, John Bryant handling things down low. It's, uh, it made everything fall into place. But I just – I love that story about Jameer, um, you know, with everything he had riding on that year and everything he was going to become in the NBA. And his only goal was to be the greatest teammate ever. But then he, I think the greatest part, he accomplished everything then. He was National Player of the Year. He, you know, had the greatest team in St. Joe's history. It's, uh, you know, he was focused on his teammates but achieved all the individual goals as well. Yeah, I think uh, that's an awesome story, and I appreciate you sharing. And I think so much about uh, Jameer Nelson and, and really just great players that also uh, espouse great leadership skills. And you could tell, like, you could tell they're authentic and they're genuine. I mean, some people can say, oh, I'm about the team and team first, and, you know, I don't care about individual accolades. But I think there's some players and leaders out there that you know right away they're not paying lip service. They're actually, you know, doing what they're saying and they're living up to what they're saying as well. Totally, totally. And he was, he was as genuine as can be. And you can tell, like you said, the guys that, you know, don't uh, walk the walk, it's, uh, it's, that's the truth. So, Pat, you talked about, you know, when you had a, a good, a bad game, rather, it was easy for you to, to jump back in that next game because you felt like, you know, you had a clean slate and you could, you know, get, get some positive momentum back. You know, after your junior year, you had an incredible year, um, you know, all Atlantic 10, and then obviously just all the success that the team had. Uh, did you feel like there was pressure going into your senior year where you, you guys graduated a ton of incredible players? Uh, can you maybe talk about those, you know, the your senior year, the early parts of your senior year and what that felt like? Yeah, it was going into senior year was definitely a roller coaster ride because you think about the success we had the previous year uh, with the Elite Eight run and going 27 and 0 in the regular season. Um, I personally, I got injured in the preseason, so dislocated my shoulder and sat out for about six weeks going into it. And, you know, I think on top of it, when you lose people like, you know, Jameer, Delonte, uh, Tyrone Barley, you know, we lost so many core pieces. And, and it was funny because even, you know, some of the, the St. Joe's, uh, you know, alumni and fans close to us, they were uh, not everybody. Some of them were calling it the year after. You know, so just acknowledging like, hey, but it's uh, it was great to get there before. But, you know, it's just, you know, we can't get to that level of success this year. So it was just, you know, we had some obstacles in front of us. But that, uh, you know, that senior year, I, I think it was one of those things that it, it took a while for us to gel as a team. Okay. But, um, but, you know, we ended up bringing it together. I think. Uh, you know what? One of my favorite stories of uh, Coach Martelli, if you know, along with Jameer being a National Player of the Year, the the previous year uh, Martelli was the National Coach of the Year. But I would argue that um, my senior year could have been Coach Martelli's best coaching year of my four years, and I think it was how he remained flexible and adapted to just changing due to the personnel on the team, and. Uh, I think one of the funniest stories with uh, Coach Martelli, I'll, I'll never forget, was um, so we started the year three and seven. And, you know, you think about him, he was national coach of the year. Um, and then he goes into this new year, starts three and seven. It's just polar opposites of, 
you know, when you look at the two seasons and uh, I remember we flew home from a uh, tournament in San Francisco, got off the bus and Martelli says, you know, meet me at half court. And it was late at night. So we're like, man, are we going to practice? (laughs) And coach is standing in the center court with trash bags in his hands. And we're like, man, what's, what's he doing? And he's looking at the trash bags and he starts going off on us. You know, you guys are playing so selfish and, you know, you got no commitment to the team. And, and all of it was true. But what he had us do with the trash bags, he, he handed them out to the team and said, you're playing like trash. And he said, go into your locker rooms. We had to clear out everything in our locker. And it was during that, uh, that winter break with the exams and stuff. So we didn't have a game for about two weeks. So, you know, it was just practice, practice, practice for two weeks. And we had to clear everything out of our lockers. We couldn't use our lockers for that two-week period. And we couldn't use our team showers. And and then, you know, on top of it, think about it as a college kid, you know, one of the biggest perks since you're not getting paid of of, uh, college basketball is the gear, right? You know, so... (laughs) So we weren't even allowed to wear our St. Joe's gear because Coach Martelli said, look, you guys haven't earned to wear St. Joe's across your chest right now. So, you know, we're walking into practice with like, you know, white T-shirts on and and, uh, you know, just random, random clothes for these two weeks. But um, and then not to mention, he put us in this since we couldn't use our locker room, he put us into this uh, this tiny room. It was literally like 10 by 12 and we got like 14 <laughs> players on the team you know it was like a solitary confinement box of like you know 14 players jammed into this box but I think the amazing thing about it and I really do believe it was this strategic plan that coach Martelli had that he saw our team starting three and six that year we were playing selfish you know when we would walk into practices what's what's the most basketball players do they all grab their own basketball out of the cage and they just start messing around for like 15 minutes waiting until practice gets started. And, you know, I remember him pointing that stuff out, but over those two weeks, you know, we're, we're sitting in this, like, you know, we called it the box, this little solitary confinement space. Before you know it, we start bonding as a team. And I think the one unifying thing was like, look, nobody likes coach Martelli right now. And it wasn't like, you know, we loved him deep down, but it was like, you know, you're upset with him because he's making practice so hard and, you know, we're not playing well as a team. But all of a sudden we started getting this bond together. And like in this box, since we got kicked out of the locker room, we start putting posters up, you know, on this tiny wall. Somebody brings in a little boom box and, you know, we're having fun singing songs and that kind of stuff in this little thing. And day after day, like, our bond starts going, growing stronger and stronger as a team. Mm. And now it's like, we got this team goal and it's like, look, let's earn our St. Joe's gear back. Let's earn the locker room back. Let's earn all this stuff. So when you think about like what makes a strong team, well, we bonded like we've never bonded before um, as a result of all these, the gear, the locker room, the showers, all that stuff taken away from us. And you know, it, it, it was an amazing transformation over these couple weeks. Well, then you look at the results. Our last, so we started three and six. Our last 27 games that year, we end up 21 and six. That's we won the Atlantic 10 
regular season, um, made the NIT championship, A-10 championship. We made the final game. So it was, uh, you know, it, it was just such an experience. And I think Coach Martelli had this, like, master plan in the back of his mind that um, he, he saw our team was acting selfish and wasn't playing as a team. And he brought us together, and we just we got the results. And it was, you know, I'd argue Coach Martelli's best uh, best best season of my four years there. That's a terrific story, and you know, it's it's great when those things work out. You know, because I think coaches oftentimes they'll try different things. You're at your wits' end. You just try different things, and the fact that it worked um, in such an incredible fashion is awesome too. And he's a he's an easy guy to root for. I, I've, He's a great guy, great coach. I, when I was coaching high school, I would go down and watch St. Joe's practices. He was always welcoming. Um, you know, and I always learned so much. And I think the, one of the bigger takeaways from watching his practices are, A, the planning. It's everything is down to the minute, but also the simplicity mm -hmm. and, and focusing on the fundamentals and um, those kind of things that, that I thought made his teams very successful. No um, doubt. I mean, the, the discipline he had, where, like you said, every minute was accounted for for every single practice, every pregame. He, um, Coach Martell is one of the most disciplined coaches I've ever seen uh, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you finish up just, you know, had a great senior year. The team had a great year, you know, big five player of the year, A-10 player of the year, average 19 a game. Um, during that run, are you thinking, or, or, you know, at the end of your senior year or in the middle of your senior year, are you thinking I'm going to play in the NBA? Or what was kind of your mindset as you were kind of winding down your collegiate career? Yes, yeah, it's a great question. Like, I think I got a taste of it, um, you know, like in probably midway through my um, college career, it started clicking a little bit like, hey, you know, I started getting to know guys that had successful careers overseas. So that started running through my mind. And, you know, individually, I think in the offseason started working towards that goal, whether it was trying out for the NBA or playing overseas. It's something that I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, but it was almost like with that senior year, I think we started so bad and then we just started getting better and better and better as the season went on. And we really didn't know where it was going to take us. And, you know, we just kept having success later and later in the year. And, um, you know, it was just like a, it was just, you know, almost a fairy tale ride yeah. uh, towards the end. And then individually though, you know, I, I saw my brother, he was going through the, uh, you know, the grind of, you know, trying out for the NBA teams. He had a, a nice stand in the D-League for a while and then got called back up to the NBA. So seeing that firsthand, it was, you know, it just opened my, my eyes up and that it makes you think like, hey, there is a chance to, to play in the NBA. So, you know, I think just seeing it, it's, uh, you know, it sparked a fire and it said, hey, you know, just let's give it our best shot and see where it falls. And so what did that look like for you? You did a, the Houston Rockets Summer League and then with the Mavericks as yep. well? Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, senior year, I, I played with uh, the Houston Rockets and then I played with them again the following year. Um, but that was, um, you know, it was after a short stint in Italy, I went over into preseason and dislocated my shoulder again. And so I... Uh, a year after I graduated St. Joe's, I had to sit out the entire year due to shoulder surgery. Wow. And I think honestly, like that, that year sitting out was probably the most beneficial uh, 
you know, season of my life, just having the time to, I spent nine months just like endlessly, you know, working on my game with, you know, strength, conditioning, shooting, handle, like all that stuff. And, you know, I had my greatest uh, summer league that year, the second year I played with the Houston Rockets. And uh, that was with uh, Coach Coach Thibodeau, who he was an assistant under Jeff Van Gundy at the time. And, you know, he was he was one of the hardest coaches <laughs> ever played for, but one of the best coaches for sure. And we went undefeated um, that year in the summer league and, you know, had it got a lot of uh, attention coming out of that summer league. And then out of that summer, out of that summer, league, is that when you went to Dallas or when did da- the Dallas Mavericks stint happen? Yep. So as a result of, um, you know, I played real well. I think I averaged out of 17 or 18 points that NBA summer league when we went undefeated in Vegas. And that's where I got a lot of good offers from overseas. And then I got a partial guaranteed contract from Dallas that year. And so I spent the preseason with Dallas and it was, it was myself, three other guys were trying out for the team and they ended up, I think, I think they made the right choice. They took JJ Barea, who he's still with the Mavericks. Uh, what is it? I don't know. We might be what, 13, 14 years later now and he's still in the Mavericks. So they, <laughs> without a doubt, made the right choice. And what was that like during your time with the Mavericks? I guess was was who was on the team? Like Jason Kidd, Dirk, obviously. Who was who were some yep, of the it, players? It was Dirk. It, um, so it was the team that, if you remember, the season before is when they were up. I think they were up two zero against Miami Heat when D Wade just exploded in the finals, okay. and they had Shaq as well. And you know Dallas just just gave it away and. So I remember I was down there, me and the other rookies were down there um, in the summer. And then I'll never forget, it It was Jason Terry. He was on that team and he played great that NBA finals, but they just fell, you know, short because really D-Wade just took over that finals. But, um, you know, we were down there in August in Dallas and, you know, you can imagine it it was like a hundred degrees every day and, and with the Dallas heat. So we had to meet the strength and conditioning coach um, at like, it, I think we got up at 445 and met at like 515 at the track because you had to be there before the sun got up because it was just too hot. Wow. And, you know, most times the vets, you know, guys like Jason Terry and Dirk and those kind of guys, normally they won't show up until just before uh, training camp starts. But Jason Terry showed up with you know with all these rookies at 5 15 a.m he would hit the track with us and i can guarantee you you know we would do like 400 meter sprint then 800 meter sprint do it again do it again and go back down the ladder he won every single sprint and like and i'm not lying i've never seen a guy so obsessed and dedicated after and i think it was just the pain of that finals loss against the miami heat and he came in so focused that year. And, you know, eventually he, you saw he, he I think before he, the, uh, they ended up winning the finals, he got tattooed the, uh, you know, the finals trophy on his arm. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I wasn't there to, to be on the team with them, but I was happy to see Terry and Dirk get, uh, get their uh, championship for sure. Yeah, that, that's a great story. And I think sometimes – 
you know, you, you think about the NBA players and, and you forget about that the element, the grind element and running on a track, you know, running 400 yards or whatever it might be. And you think about someone that's, that's made it and someone that's there uh, and had so much success that's still doing it. You know, I think it just, it's a great message for, for our middle school, high school, collegiate athletes out there that it never really stops. You never arrive when it comes to, when it comes to success in any sport. Totally. So you do the, the after the, uh, the Rockets and the Mavericks, is that when you went overseas for, for a little longer period of time? And where, where did you go? Yep. You were France, Greece, and Spain? Or what did it look – what was your process over there as far as where and when? Yeah, so when I – at the end of training camp, I, you know, remember Avery Johnson, he called me up and said, you know, look, we, we got to make some decisions here. And unfortunately, you know, you're not going to be part of the team going into the regular season. So I got cut from Dallas and then that's when about a month or two later I got picked up by a team in France uh, Grevelings France and that yeah that really started my you know I had the brief stint in Italy before that but you know I got hurt in the preseason with my shoulder so this was my first full season over in Europe um, started out in France and then the next couple of years I was in Spain uh, went back to the D-League for one year in between. And then my last year went out to Greece. And that's when I tore my ACL and you know, had to shut it down from there. Yeah, yeah. When you look back at your, your time overseas, is there a game that sticks out in your mind uh, that was, you know, your best performance or your best game that, that you remember? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the most memorable times was uh, that, that team in France. Uh, my brother, he was playing in the NBA at the time, and and his season ended. So he came over with his wife to uh, see me in my last. It was you know the only time he got to see me play in Europe, and we were down in uh, Toulon, France. It was the last regular season game, and if we lost, we go home. If we win, we make it to the playoffs. And you know, I think we were either down one or it was a tie game. Uh, with like three seconds left coach drew up a play and this guy shot it from top of the key missed it and I sprinted um, from the corner caught the ball and just like flipped it over my head and it was my only game-winning bucket as time expired like I hit some you know with like a second on the clock but this was you know the only uh, the only bucket of my life as time expired was the game-winning shot and have my brother there in the stands. Like it was, it was an awesome experience. But um, I think the funniest part of the story is that, you know, we got into the locker room and, you know, I love my teammates. We had some great players on there, but you know, to, to, it would be said lightly, not everybody liked to coach too much. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, and, uh, and I would say that there was some uh, conflicting looks in the, in the locker room where, you know, it's like, man, we got to spend another week practicing and stuff. And, <laughs> and it's, it was funny because, you know, you, overseas, you get a pretty nice bonus for some of the time or some of the teams if you make the playoffs and stuff. So I was hyped for making the basket. But, you know, as, as you know, you, you get on some good and bad teams over there and there's some uh, there's some tough coaches to play with as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's definitely you're rolling the dice every time every time you sign a contract and, and what, what's going to come of it. And uh, but that, that's a cool story. Definitely a good way to uh, to end the regular season. Um, so then you tear your ACL your last year. Was that kind of the, when you thought to yourself, I need to what made you 
not rehab and go play another year or whatever, you know, and, and kind of start your life back here? Yeah, so I actually did rehab and, you know, I got the surgery, started doing the rehab and I had the expectation that, hey, I'm going to, you know, keep my career going and, and give it another shot. But after about, you know, it was probably eight or nine months when the start of the season, when, you know, the end of August, when most guys are heading back overseas, um, you know, it was probably the eight or nine month mark. And I just wasn't fully prepared yet. I wasn't ready to have that five on five contact yet. And the thought of spending like literally two years out of the game and I was approaching 30 years old at the time. And it just, you know, I just said, I, I got to move on, but I had the expectation when I first got the surgery and was injured, I was trying to make it back, but just wasn't ready for the start of the season. And, and just had to make that tough decision where, you know, you know, when you're over there, I mean, basketball, it's, it's your whole life. It's something you love, something you've been doing forever. And when that reality hits of like, all right, it's, it's time to move on. It's not easy. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, well, that's great stuff. You know, and I think, you know, obviously it was fun for me to, to, I know everything you accomplished, but looking into it more closely this, you know, last night and this morning, you know, do you ever look back and, uh, you know, on your incredible high school career, college career, and then obviously your professional career as well. And do you ever look back on those days and, and, you know, smile in, in realizing how much you accomplished? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is so nice to look back and I think, you know, and you can relate to this having kids now and you can just share some of the experiences and stories with uh, with your family, with your kids, there's so many memories you get, um, and not just like the good. It's not just the good teams and the good games that you had, but you know the the obstacles that you had to overcome, like the injuries. Um, you, there's always a silver lining in there, and trying to share those lessons that I learned with um, you know with friends and definitely with my own kids. It, it's great to look back on, but you know, outside of the games and the, and the accomplishments, the relationships that you've built, it's, um, I think that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, with, uh, with my high school teammates from Harper Horsham, I mean, we're, we had my senior year, we had nine seniors on the team and, you know, we're best friends to this day with, uh, you know, so many of those guys. So, and then of course the St. Joe's guys as well. And, um, you know, that's really the, the most memorable piece that you can pull out of all those uh, teams. No, I think it's great perspective, great insight. And I try to tell our student athletes as much as possible, as much as we are caught up in performance and outcome, you talk a little bit about outcome here today to try to separate yourself from the outcome. I think as much as student athletes are caught up in that, sometimes they do lose sight of the, you know, relational game that they will have at the end with the people that they're meeting, the players and the coaches and things like that. And, you speaking about it here for the last hour, I think, is, is very helpful for, for our listeners. So um, really appreciate you jumping on here, man, and, and taking the time, especially with four kids in quarantine. I don't know how you found the quiet room, but I really appreciate you doing so. <laughs> oh, it's a, you know how it is, man. Good thing my youngest baby's sleeping right now. So. That's how I am. <laughs> That's the only way there's quiet in the house. <laughs> That's why I do these at 2 o'clock. It's one of the youngest is taking a nap. Oh, you know it. Nap time, man. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you, man. And uh, when this all settles down, hopefully I'll see you, uh, see you out on the court and see your kids running around and, and uh, hopefully we'll get out, get out and play at some point.
Absolutely, man. The kids, uh, you know, hope they can uh, do your camp this summer. They always love that. So we just got to get through this, uh, you know, hopefully everybody can get out safely and, and we look forward to connecting again for sure. No doubt, man. Give them my best and have a, uh, have a great Easter. All right, you too. Happy Easter, Dennis. See you, okay. man.